Well, Andy, thank you so, so much for being willing to join us this morning. We all have the need at all times to, to really question our perspective and how we're viewing challenges and, and, and whether we find a seed of something, some ability to grow from a challenge or to be better as a result of it. But we are so excited to have your encouragement. Um, loved the dot that you did for us. Really made me want to go out and build toys. For, and I have no idea how to use a screwdriver, so that's probably not a good thing. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping you give us some some great suggestions on on really harnessing what's between our ears and using it to our best. So off you go, sir. All right. This this is uh, kind of a. I, I've talked to to Jake and Julie and you and. Ray and and just uh, talking about what I was going to do today and just kind of a, a reminder and I listening to you talk about perspective <clears throat> is such a key because perspective is is not how you see things it's how you choose to see things and because you can choose to see things many different ways uh, you know the glass is not half full or half empty the glass the waterline just is, but how you choose to see it creates the pathway uh, for your future. And so the, the perspective is so key because perspective is the only thing that can change results without changing any of the facts. Now, the culture that your team displays on a daily basis is who you really are not just who you hope to one day be or who your advertising says you are, it's who you really are. Therefore, your culture contains the highest degree of power to change any situation that exists. Your culture is more powerful than price or product. Your culture is more powerful than the advertising of a competitor. And even though you may not have realized it yet, your culture actually determines your future. This is why it's critical to always remember first that the very foundation of your culture is your thinking. Our thinking can be compared to a knife, like a, like a knife, your thinking is a tool and it's gotta be controlled. Like a knife, your, your thinking can be used to feed your family or to protect them. And like a knife, your thinking can be dangerous if you don't take care to use it safely and productively. And, and like a knife, your thinking must be checked occasionally. Is there any rust? Have I allowed myself to become complacent with something that's so powerful? So today, uh, consider my minutes here at the first of this call, kind of a maintenance program for our thinking. So to get our discussion started, uh, allow me to ask a question, and that is, do you have a bad doctor? I'm just curious because you, you understand my question, right? What I'm asking is, is the doctor you've chosen for your family, the one you take your children to, the one you call in an emergency, the one you trust to interpret your blood work and see on a regular basis, is the doctor you've chosen without a doubt below average in his or her knowledge, skill, and practice of medicine? No, no, that's what I thought you'd say. Since the last recession in 2008, including live and online audiences, I've asked more than a million people that question and not once has anybody ever raised their hand to say yes. And of course, you know, that's impossible. 
Because if we were to gather every doctor in America with a valid medical license in a single place at the same time, basic statistics would tell us that exactly one half of that group are below average. Think about that. 50% of the doctors in America are below average in their knowledge, skills, and practice of medicine. I mean, how, how does that make you feel knowing that if you had a heart attack, there's a 50-50 chance the doctor working to save your life is below average. But today, there are 1,062,205 professionally active licensed physicians in the United States, which means that more than half a million doctors are below average. If we, if we only number the bottom 10%, there's still more than 100,000. And you spread that bottom 10% around geographically, it comes to 2,124 truly bad doctors for every one of the 50 states in America. So I'm guessing you're with me in saying, I don't want a member of my family's life in the hands of a doctor who falls into the category of the bottom 10% of the worst doctors in America. But somebody's using them. I mean, hey, apparently at 2,214 bad doctors in every state, even though we never consider the fact, quite a lot of us are relying on bad doctors. And we're doing so with very little uncertainty. It's like no trepidation at all, even though there are obviously a lot of bad doctors. Because our perspective is that they're doctors. So let's compare our thinking about doctors to our thinking about recessions. In case you're not aware, recessions are fairly common occurrences and statistics show us that every generation is likely to experience a bunch of them. Baby boomers have already lived through nearly a dozen. In fact, recessions are so common that when the year 2020 ended, the US economy set a record. It was the first time in American history we had ever started and ended a decade without a recession. Before 2020, the U.S. economy had entered into a recession a total of 13 times just since the Great Depression. Now, as crazy as the news media goes about economic indicators and downturns in the GDP, here's the bottom of the pool truth. A recession is nothing more than a dot on a graph. And that dot represents the economic exact average. There's a right that right there, the very economic average, right in the middle, a dot on the graph, which means that during a recession, there are companies doing pretty badly. Unfortunately for most people, that's as deep as they're willing to think which is why they become afraid. Deep thinking, the deep end of the pool, both of them scare a lot of people. Even people who can swim are often terrified of deep water. So it's true during a recession, there are companies doing pretty badly. These are the ones we hear about. But if you do think a little deeper, you realize that because a recession is a dot on a graph, there are also companies doing pretty good. These are the companies we don't hear about. Now, check this out. During a recession, there are companies going out of business. 
These are the companies the news media makes sure we hear about. But because a recession is a dot on a graph, during a recession, there are also companies doing better than they've ever done before in their history. Of course, we hear nothing about them. The situation I've just described has been the case in every recession the United States has ever endured because a recession is just a dot on a graph. Why do mo most folks never look at it this way? Because most folks are convinced to perceive things in the same way the news media reports them. Now, we all know the news media has higher ratings when there's bad news, a disaster happens, we're glued to the TV. They, they have higher ratings when there's bad news. They want high ratings. So it is in their best interest to report bad news. And in the case of, re of a recession, there is bad news to report. They aren't lying. But remember, even the facts can be true, but not the truth. Even facts are susceptible to an average. Even when you line up the facts, there is a dot on the graph. The bad news about a recession is true, and it can panic people who only study one side of the graph. The truth is only ever revealed to people who understand both sides of the graph. You remember learning about the Great Depression in school? If we were to visit a classroom today in which the teachers discussing the Great Depression, what you would hear would be the same stories you've always heard. During the Great Depression, people were diving out of windows on Wall Street, committing suicide, families lost their farms, people stood in bread lines. Of course, that's all true. But what you never learned what still nobody ever talks about is that more families made fortunes during the Great Depression, fortunes that have lasted for generations, than at any other time in the history of Western civilization. The Walt Disney Company started just as the Great Depression hit in 1929. William Boeing and Walter Chrysler created their fortunes during the Great Depression. By creating regular passenger service, Boeing built an empire that manufactured aircraft and operated the airlines. And while sales of expensive cars plunged, sales of Chrysler's cars, especially their Plymouth brand, went through the roof. According to Automotive News, Chrysler's market share was at 9% in 1929 when the depression started. And in 1933, when the depression ended, Chrysler had 24% of the market and had passed Ford. George Jenkins opened his first public supermarket in 1930, just as the Great Depression was in full swing. Publix not only prospered, they're now the number one supermarket chain in America. As the Depression got underway, a lot of companies cut their advertising budgets. Some of them abandoned marketing completely, but Procter & Gamble went the other way. Instead of throttling down their advertising efforts to cut costs, the company actively pursued new marketing avenues, including commercial radio broadcasts, and not only survived the Great Depression, they thrived. And 
they operate today in 180 countries with a net worth of $392 billion. The same opportunity these companies took advantage of then is available to you now. For seven years, we have said that Fairway will compete in ways the competition doesn't know a game is being played. I want you to understand that that statement is more the case now than it has ever been. Because now you have the opportunity to compete against companies who have already left the field. Love that, Andy. Thank you so much. So profound. It, it really is. It, it, and, and Mike's going to address it. It really is if you decide to use fear as a propeller or fear as an anchor. And, and at the end of the day, what goes on in our head is really what makes that difference, where we yep. want to live, part of the pool. So that was so, so well said. And, and that reminder that it's, it's not the circumstances that dictate our outcome. It really is how we choose to perceive those circumstances. And, and that gives us a semblance of control in what may feel like an uncontrollable situation when you look at these externals, the internals are the controllable. So thank you again, Andy. So, so appreciate that. And, and Mike, let's go ahead and, and pivot to you because I know you have a lot of things to talk about relative to the quote unquote, the slowdown, right? Yeah. Good morning, Coach Kathy. And thank, thank you, uh, Coach Andy. I had a I had a buddy text me this morning and he said, is that the Andy Andrews, like the traveler's gift Andy Andrews that you're presenting with, or is that a different Andrew, Andy Andrews? And I said, no, that's the Andy Andrews. So uh, fun, uh, fun to share with the network. And um, thank you for, uh, thank you for the wisdom, Andy. Um, yeah, glad to be here, Kathy. We can, we can roll in any direction that you want. I have some thoughts to share with the team here. Um, I just thought I'd start by giving a little background on my, myself, if that's okay. Perfect. I, I, I won't it. give you my life story, but just so everybody knows who I am. Um, I'm Mike Zilli. I'm a, a Wisconsin boy and I've uh, been here my whole life. I started in the mortgage industry in 2006. And so this right here is not the first difficult market I've been in. Um, we all remember the years following 2006. This one, honestly, uh, with perspective, doesn't seem so bad. It's tough, but it's been worse, right? Um, and then in 2015, a life-changing thing happened to me. Um, I joined Fairway. So about nine years into my career, I found Fairway. It was at a time in my career where I was burnt out. I was stressed out. Um, I was carrying that stress home with me. Um, I was uh, I was with my family physically nights and weekends and and but I wasn't mentally um, just kind of behind the scenes I was stressed out about loans not closing on time or money not being to the closing table and it was taking a real toll on me and I was starting to hate the business to be honest with you um, but after building a, a business for nine years it was like I didn't I didn't know what to do I didn't know um, if walking away was the right thing I had that thought for a split moment but. Um, fortunately, uh, a friend put me in touch with Joe Thiessen and we had a couple of cups of coffee together. Joe actually had a hot chocolate because he's not a coffee drinker. Um, but I, I knew immediately that I wanted to join Fairway and it's literally been life changing. So uh, grateful for Joe for taking a chance on me. Uh, Courtney Schwartz and our operations team here in Madison are second to none. They, they, make, they make life easy on me every day and it's just been a blast. And then um, five years ago, another life changing moment got involved with Ignite. 
And that's been a really fun ride too. Um, Ignites meant so much to me. Uh, first, the community, just seeing so many uh, successful people do things the right way, people that I look up to. I'm reading Reggie Green's book right now. I'm seeing what he's he's doing with his team, and I'm like, I want to I wanna learn that. So, uh, so many wonderful people here setting the example. And then working with a coach has been been life-changing. My coach, Carrie Guerrero, if you're, if you're on and you're listening, uh, she's my superhero. And uh, a few years ago when I started working with Carrie is when we started to really see, see growth in the business. Ignite has helped me um, find real clarity of purpose. I think before I stepped into coaching, I wasn't really in touch with my pur purpose and was kind of getting a little bored and, and frustrated with the business. Um, and uh, just uh, clarifying that, that this business, what I, what I want is for it to be in service of others. I want other people to, to live their dreams. Um, I think this is the greatest business in the world, and I'm just midlife here and living my dreams, and I just want to see others do it. So um, it's just been a, been an incredible experience. And then uh, production, I just wanted to, to touch on. Um, we, we talked about that, Kathy, might maybe kind of share in my journey. So historically, um, built a, a slow and steady referral-based business, and for years, I was kind of in that 30 to 40 million volume range. And um, that was great, provided well for my family, but I kind of had this glass ceiling on the production. Uh, one year I'd be 38, the next year I'd be 33, then I'd be up to 35. And even my first couple of years in, in Fairway, I was in that range, but it wasn't until I stepped into Ignite till I, I really started to see the growth. And um, last year we were close to 500 units uh, for about 125 million as a small team. Uh, this year, we're a little behind on, on units, but our, our volume is right where it needs to be. That inflation is helping uh, is, is helping the loan, uh, the average loan size. So we're about 80 million year to date. And we should, uh, even though the market's down and there's challenges and inventory and rates and all that stuff, uh, our, our, uh, our uh, volume should be where it was last year. So um, we're just- So keep, impressive, right? We're, we're so keep, you keep, keep playing every day. Good deal. So how tell tell me what that looks like for you. How how do you play? The, you know, do you wake up every morning and you know everything's great? You're not ever afraid, right? Everything's always well, good. I'm I'm gl glad you brought up fear because that's something I wanted to talk about. Um, you know, the first half of the year, Kathy, like things kind of were rolling as normal for us. And I, I knew things were hard and uh you know that that the industry was down and I wasn't experiencing that for a while. So I was just kind of like well, maybe if I just, you know, don't say anything, I won't jinx it. But it, it, it eventually caught up with me in the summer. All of a sudden, things slowed way down. All of a sudden, less credit pulls, less apps, less leads. I'm seeing my pipeline dwindle. And to be honest, those, those negative emotions, that fear, um, uncertainty, anxiety, like all that stuff started to creep in. Like I had moments with that. Um, I, I think sometimes if you're a top producer, or you're maybe a little famous in the mortgage space, people think like, you know, you're immune from that. And it's just not true. It's like, we're all, we're all human beings. It's all part of the human condition. Um, like we're all prone to that. But um, what I do know is I can identify it quickly that, that these negative thoughts, that this fear is starting to get into my mind and I can pivot from it quickly. Um, one, I know that it doesn't serve me well. It doesn't serve my my clients well, it doesn't serve my team well, it doesn't serve my family well. And um, like just living in that fear isn't helping anybody. So I got to quickly pivot off of it. And then secondly, like how do you pivot? Um, and you pivot with activity, right? We just, we just double down, 
We get after it. I know that I can't control my results. I can't control how many loans I'm going to close next month, but I can close. I can control today's activity right now. And so I just decided we need to take massive action. We need to get busy. We need to connect with people. We need to plan events. We, you know, I need to make the most of every day and just kick it into a new new gear. So I think that that taking massive action and taking action today that's what drives out that fear the best at least that's what that's what i've uh, i've experienced so um if anybody in the network struggling right now it's just like just just pick up the phone go see the people um don't focus on yourself and your results like focus on serving them just it, rinse and repeat get up and do that every day so from rinse and repeat for you, can you give us an insight into what, what your daily disciplines look like? So that consistency of a daily discipline, a structure you lean into, I'm assuming that has a, a, an impact on your ability to elevate yourself out of that place of fear. Yeah, uh, great question. And I, I I do have an answer. I actually wrote my daily disciplines down so I wouldn't, for, so I wouldn't forget anything that I wanted to share. So um, if you're on the call and you have a pen, like, please write this down. This has been actually, really you know what, Mike, as a, as a free gift to everyone, we put that into a digital format that we're going to send out after the call with the recording. So oh, wow. you will have, have Mike's daily disciplines nicely executed. Right. Well, we can't execute. We'll give them to you. And then we leave you to execute. So right. off I, you got, go, Mike. I got four of them and I'm still going to tell you to write them down because when you write them down, you're more likely to remember them. Okay. So Very good. Uh, yeah, appreciate it. Num number one, we want to start with our mental routine. The battle is uh, within the mind. It's, it's one uh, in your mind. And so number one, wake up early. Um, we're all familiar with Hal Elrod and the Miracle Morning and his studies. High performers get up early. Um, we don't have to like it, but we do it anyway. Um, I get up every morning by five o'clock. I, I, I make my coffee. My, my French press or my pour over, and I feed my mind. Um, I, I start by reading something positive. I have a journal where I've got my favorite scriptures written down, and I look over those. Um, I just sit in quiet and uh, and feed my mind. And it doesn't have to be an hour-long miracle morning. Like 10 or 15 minutes is just fine. But we, we want to prime our mind for the day, okay? You can keep it short, short, but it's the daily discipline of focusing on your mind, and, and priming it for the day. So number one is mental routine. Number two is physical routine. Do something physical every day, okay? Now, um, for me, it's vigorous exercise first thing in the morning, okay? Um, I went to the gym early this morning. It's vigorous exercise. If you can't do vigorous exercise, like just get your body moving, get out for a walk, do some stretching, do some yoga, um, but as a species, we've evolved in a very physical way, right? Like think back over thousands or millions of years of evolution. Like we were once cavemen and women, like, you know, hunting woolly mammoths with a spear. It was a very physical existence. And then for, for hundreds or thousands of years, we were farmers and farmers is being a farmer is very physical. It's just the last like hundred years or so that we've had desk jobs, right? And maybe the last 30 years where I can sit in front of a screen all day. And then at night I watch Netflix or I scroll on my phone to relax. And it's like, no wonder why we have all this nervous energy. And we can't sleep at night. It's like, we didn't <laughs> like our, our body's designed to do physical things. So um, do something physical every day, even if it's just getting out for a walk between my, my zoom meetings with clients. I'm like, sweet. I got 45 minutes. I'm going to go on a 30 minute walk. So get out and be physical. 
Number three is the power of your association. So ask yourself the question, who are you spending time with? Uh, one of my favorite quotes is from Jim Rohn, that you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So be very, very intentional about who you're spending your time with. And uh, one of the things that I love about the Ignite community is I have so many incredible people, human beings and producers that I can spend time with, and they average me up. Uh, I've been really intentional about this. I have a Tuesday group every single Tuesday, uh, eight o'clock to nine o'clock for eight years. I've met with the same group of guys. And these are just guys that I admire as men, fathers, husbands, men of faith, community members, businessmen. And we meet for one hour a week, every single week. And by being around them, they're helping me become a better person, a more positive, a more productive, I'm a better dad. So be really, really intentional about who you spend your time with. And then number four is the power of coaching. So invest in a coach. If you're not getting coached, invest in a coach. I will never in my career not be coached again, okay? I'll never not be coached again. Um, in coaching, we find accountability. So my coach, Carrie, when I tell her, here's what I'm committed to, I'm accountable to her. But then I also have to be self-accountable because just because I say it, I still have to do it. So account accountability uh, with others and accountability with self. Um, one example of this, uh, Aaron Garrett, who's a fairway buddy, he's in Texas, I'm in Wisconsin. Aaron and I text each other by five o'clock every single morning to make sure that we're out of bed. That's accountability. And we've done it for years. And do we hit it 100% of the time? No, but 80, probably 90, 95% of the time, I'm up at 5 a.m. because I'm like, I feel like sleeping in, but I got to text Aaron. You know, he's my, he's my accountability partner. So get accountability. Um, embrace discipline in your life. Reject fear. Uh, focus on love. Focus on serving others. And just keep playing. Mike, that is so, so well said. I'm just so appreciative of, of those reminders. And again, it comes down to that. Everything that you talked about is something within your control how you start your day, what that looks like. Um, the fact that there's two routines to, to process. You, you need to have the physical. And I love the reminder of our bodies were made to move. And when we don't, we have an underlying anxiety that has nothing it's to do with- It's a very powerful mind-body connection. And, and then the fact that there has to be a, a mental routine that's as strong and as vigorous as the physical routine. And I'm not sure we all focus on that to the same degree. So some really, really great reminders and, and, and the reminder of- I, again, we're not designed to walk the road alone. When we're accountable to somebody, we get out of bed. For whatever reason, disappointing ourselves, not a big deal. But when we tell somebody we're going to do something, we have a higher likelihood we're going to do it. First of all, we verbalized it, which meant you heard like, wow, what did I just commit to? Well, I guess I'm all in now. And I've got somebody that I'm responsible to report back to. So just some really, really great points. Um, thank you so much for your time. I just can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I, I feel like we... Um, we, we put you in this world with Andy Andrews, but realistically, it's all the same. It's it's that perspective piece, and you do it so, to such a high level. Your reading, your consistency around meeting with people, some of the events, which we didn't really get into quite yet, but we're going to have to have you come back and talk about that um, because you do such a great job with it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And now we've got Pistol Pete here sharing his final thoughts, and then we will let everyone get on with their day so that they can work on some of this good stuff we're teaching. Pistol, my friend. This, is, this has been a fantastic call. And uh, 
I was born in 1934, a year after the Great Depression, but Andy's comments about the success people can have during a recession in time, if they do it, is great. And then he said it again, and he said it when I first met him at Fairway, the opponents that we have or the competition really don't know how to play the game and they're not in the game. Now, my buddy, Mike Zilli, is on this call and he's fantastic. He's been a great friend of mine and he's outstanding. And uh, what I would like to share is, uh, Mike with his previous company, I've said this before, uh, was the top salesperson for 10 straight years. 10 straight years and the CEO and the president of the company did never acknowledge that to Mike himself. After he was at Fairway for three or four months, and Mike being a good loan officer, uh, maybe did two or three million, I don't know, but he heard automatically right away from Steve Jacobson. And this is what people should always remember about Fairway. It's a team thing and everybody's together. And I'm very proud and honored uh, to say that I could get an opportunity to work with Mike, uh, but to get him know get him to know well, I know his family and everybody, and they're they're great people, and I could go on and on about things that he does. So Kathy, I'm going to do a uh, another quick Vince Lombardi quote for you, that that and these all make sense. And then I got one more thing to say about Mike. The only one way to succeed in anything, and that is to give it everything. And back to Mike's comments about what he does, and we can see this. When his attitude and mindset is so strong that we run into issues, which we all do every day. And when you talk to Mike, instead of going, wow, nothing we can do about it, he says, I'm thinking about it, and we'll be able to take care of it. So what a great attitude to share with his team. And Mike's goal, he's got five or six people on his team now, is not to be a producing manager, but to bring other people up within the organization so they can be rising loan originators. So thanks a lot for letting me jump on to this very special call. And thanks to Kathy and Mike. Love you both. I uh, love you too, Pistol. So well said. Thank you all. I think that there's not much we can add to that. What do you think, Mike? Let's just keep playing. All righty. Well said. All right, everybody, go out there and play the game. Remember, you're, you have the opportunity to play it differently from everybody else. So off you go. Thanks again, Mike. Thanks, Coach.